last week was those, one of those times where you just allow God to do what He wants to do with us. And I must, I must admit, I think, you know, we're preaching through the book of James, and James is quite a, it's Jesus to you. You know, I read a little portion out of a commentary today. There are 108 verses in James, and there are 54 commands in that book. So that we can actually preach through James in a whole year. Every week you could be saying something out of that book. Because you can preach on four words. It's just a command. It, it's something. So it is quite hard hitting. I get that. Yeah. And the stuff that we've been doing, it's, it's, it hits deep, man. You can't, as um, um, David Pawson says, now that you've read James, you can't be ignorant and say, I didn't know it. Yeah. Because it's all plain for you to see. This is what it is. And, and I think last week, the words the Lord gave me, pause and reflect. Okay? Uh, uh, we're very important for us. You've got, to see what, you've got to see what God is doing with us as a people. He's not hammering us. So come on, man. Basically, just get the stuff now. Catch it so I can do something with you. He's working in us. And then he just takes a moment to say, let me just massage this in a little bit more. And I'll work deeper into your hearts. Because the more it works deeper on the inside of you, it expresses on the outside. And so all that happens on the inside is expressed outwardly. And so you can have a fake outside, which means there's a work on your inside that you haven't done. You're not in touch with stuff there. So, but when it's genuine on the outside, the work on the inside is deep and mature and meaningful. And that's what God is doing with us as a people. And some of the things that I just want to um, read with you here on um, some of the things people saw last week in the spirit. You see, as God speaks to us, um, let me just see where I put these words. Sorry, prophetic words here. Now, there's a couple of people that saw things. Wade was here. He saw this massive umbrella over the bay. It was a huge covering over the whole building. And it reminded him of how big corporations say they're under a big umbrella. And these works is head over small branches and cover them. But then God said that heaven has now become the umbrella over the bay. Not for business, but for the accomplishment of the kingdom. See, now, I know that guy. He's not just going to make up stuff to make me feel good. And hey, hey, you're on the right track. It's like God is confirming. He's saying stuff with us. Zita, I love what Zita sent me a while ago. A couple of months ago, she uh, came to her first fruits here. was where we worshipped through the night on a Friday evening. Next one's coming up on the 26th or 27th of July. And she was sitting here. Andy was leading worship at 7.30. And she says, honestly, there's maybe six or seven people here. And she thinks, okay, God, what, what, what are you doing here? What's, what's kind of going down? And then she says, she, then the Lord opened her eyes. And she saw more than six or seven people. This is exactly what happened to Elijah and Elisha. And he opened his eyes and he saw heaven. And they were not alone. And she says she saw and looked uh, two rows of angels lined up behind the band, standing next to one another from corner to corner of the auditorium. The back row of angels were high in the front and they were all dressed in gold. Then I looked behind them in this massive auditorium, maybe seating thousands of people. Since like it was a big environment, the band was transported in there. And I got caught up in the atmosphere. And these are the words she heard. Heaven sees. I would prefer heaven to see than the world actually to see. That's the starting point. Everyone's trying to get the world to see. Come on, look what we're doing. Look how amazing it is here. Look at all the incredible stuff we're doing. Yeah, a lot of good stuff is happening. But if heaven don't recognize that stuff, there's no point in doing it. It's what we're placing on our altar here, essentially. And heaven is responding to what we are doing as a people to, in the spiritual realm of honoring His presence, honoring Him as our King, laying our lives before Him, and then He works and moves. And we've been through a season of, okay, Jesus, where are you, Jesus? Come on now. We're kind of rolling over here. It just feels we're going through the motions and we're pressing through, but He's testing us. He's testing us with faithfulness. He's testing our hearts just to see that they're pure and refined when we come and He wants to do more through us because there can't be a hint of it being for us yeah. or for ourselves. See, in the worship this morning, I really felt God just kind of highlight to me, He is heaven's champion. Yeah. Now we're going to watch this afternoon, Federer is going to beat Djokovic. <laughs> and there's going to be a new champion. Well, not a new, another, he's going to be champion again. <laughs> Don't start. It's going to be Federer. Come on now. Okay? Amen. I see that end. Okay? And what you're going to see is you're going to see England hold the trophy up this afternoon as they beat New Zealand. Okay? But what happens is everybody applauds the champion. 
Have you noticed on the tennis court, they all shake hands or they do the thing over the net, they all go rah-rah, it's all sweet and nice, and they always let the person who loses shake hands first, and you're going to do the stuff. And then the winner comes back on the court, and he goes like, they all do their funny little things, and I don't joke a bit, I don't know what he's doing with uh, throwing love to the crowd. He seems to pull it from heaven, and I don't know, maybe not. But there's like a, there's like a bigger surge in the crowd. Yeah, because he does something, and the crowd respond. But the loser, last night the doubles men's played in for five hours of tennis, the losers were in tears. Those two French guys, were, he, the one guy, he was beside himself. The losers always cry. New Zealand are going to cry. Well, no, they don't cry much. They, I don't know if there's much emotion in those guys. They just kind of seem to go through it. Djokovic also, I don't think he'll cry. But the loser cries. Are you on the losing team? No, we're not. You see, when you speak, think of heaven's champion... What does it cause you to do? Not to worship like this. <laughs> Woe is me. Despondent. All the things. Yes, you see, we're weary. People saying we're weary and all that. And so why are you weary? Why? I thought that. If you're weary, pray. If you're tired, sleep. Okay? Now the weariness is God can be working on your heart. And I'm going to preach about that today. He takes you through things. That He reforms and transforms your heart so that you are transformed in love. And this, these kind of sermons, and we've, I've chatted to a few people in this, in this building, in this church, about this stuff. This is not forefront in how people will ch- preach in church. I know we go there a lot more often than other people. But it's always, we find, is people putting it on a place of you have to be victorious all the time. I get that. Because it's important because you are the head, not the tail. You are living under the champion of heaven that causes your eyes and your head to lift up. No matter the circumstance and the trials and the emotion that you feel, all these things. You, you, there's this constant pursuit of the king. If you are stuck in despot, despot and you are weary, there's something else that's wrong. Is a journey of your soul, the seasons of your heart that you go through, that God leads you through things. And that's what He's done with us as a people. And last week was just a, let me just wash over you. And just respond to His presence and let Him just do what He wants to do with us. And I know every single one of you were touched. There were other words last Sunday about these vats from heaven that God, His big bowls are pouring out over us. And these three big vats. We're being full to overflowing. And God, the one bowl was liquid, God, glory, gold. The other bowl was um, like, um, um, uh, what, there's anointing oil. And the other was new wine. And these three were kind of merging together and filling these three vats. And the three vats were the base city church, Siakulo and the Sosa Foundation. And God's going to do something that these things are going to overflow. And from here will go outward. It's always from within out. Not get it all from outside and then go, okay, cool. Now we've got it all together. Now we're going to give it out. It's got to come from within. And your life that you lead for the kingdom comes from within. Okay? And what God is doing in and through your heart and what God is doing with us as a people. Is, and, and James has been stirring us. It's challenged us because it's hard-hitting stuff. And, uh, and church has got to be a place where you live encouraged. Okay, when you gather with people, if you're leaving, you're feeling discouraged, please come and speak to me. And I will have a little chat and I promise you'll be encouraged by the time you leave after chatting with me. Okay. But don't be discouraged because of the circumstance and the place that you're at. God is working on your heart. And how you respond to Him and how you let Him just work in and through you and trust the process as He journeys with you. Then you see guys like Tabu who thought they wouldn't get out of this. They kind of journey and we go in a, 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 as a community working stuff. They start finding life. They start feeling like you can breathe again. And oh, you can feel heavens kind of on your side a little bit more. Those processes that you go through are very important. I'm going to touch on that a little bit this morning and stuff as we glorify heaven's champion. So let's slide one there, um, uh, Bella. It says, being born again is just the beginning. That summarizes a little bit of James, the whole book about being mature in the Lord. Salvation is just the start. It's not the, I've made it, I'm in, now I can relax. You're in and secure eternally for what God's got in store for you, but your salvation is just the beginning because you've walked now with the things of God for maturity. He wants to work in and through you to bring hope and salvation and life 
and telling demons and sickness to go out there in the world. He's given that to you. That authority is yours. And we get to live from that place and stuff. And uh, I want to read from chapter 5 this morning. And I've got it on the screen so you can follow with me there. We're going to do it from the Passion Translation. And uh, let's just read this together. James 5, 1-12. And I'm going to focus mainly on verses 7-12 to this morning. But it gives context to what he's saying when he speaks about the first few verses. Listen, all of you who are rich. It's time to weep and howl over your misery. Have you ever seen someone howling? That French guy was close to howling, but I don't think he was in misery about losing so badly. But that's, that's quite a deep cry. Weeping, howling. The misery that will overtake you. Your riches lie rotting. Your fine clothing eaten by moths and your gold and silver are corroded as a witness against you. Can silver and gold corrode? With the Lord, your stuff will corrode. Earthly riches will corrode. You have hoarded up treasure for the last days, but it will become a fire to burn your flesh. So this is pretty straight hitting. James, thanks, buddy. Well, that's encouragement this morning. Listen, he keeps going. Can't you hear the cries of the laborers over the wages you fraudulently held back from those who worked for you? Who's ever had payment withheld? It gets annoying eventually, eh? You owe me money. Pay the money. And you can try and you can try. I'm sitting with a friend in exactly the same position and they're not budging. It's not great, eh? The cries for justice of those you've cheated have reached the ears of the Lord of armies. Woe is you. It reminds me of when in Exodus and it says that the cry of his people have reached his ears. He heard them. It says earlier, and then it reached his ears. He's like, now I'm going to respond. Now I'm going to respond. You have indulged yourself with every, every luxury and pleasure this world offers, but you're only stuffing your heart full for a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered good and innocent people who have no power to defend themselves. Sure, James, that's heavy guy. So anyway, now this part here, in the NIV and other versions, it'll say the word therefore. And when the word therefore is, now if you've been to theological college, everyone will say, because you need to see what the word is there for. Okay? Because he's now referring to something he's just said. So he's saying, meanwhile, therefore, brothers and sisters, and he's talking to the church, we must be patient. And filled with expectation as we wait for the appearing of the Lord, And think about the farmer who has had to patiently wait for the earth's harvest as it ripens because of the early and latter rains. The rains came in two different seasons there, the early times before the actual uh, uh, spring rains and then the spring rains. So you also keep your hopes high and be patient, for the presence of the Lord is drawing closer. Since each of you are part of God's family, never complain or grumble about each other so that judgment will not come on you, for the true judge is near and very ready to appear. Next one there, My brothers and sisters, take the, take the prophets as your mentors. They have prophesied in the name of the Lord, and He brought them great suffering. Yet, they patiently endured. We honor them as our heroes because they remain faithful, even while enduring great sufferings. And you have heard of all that Job went through, and we can now see that the Lord ultimately treated him with wonderful kindness, revealing how tender-hearted he really is. Above all, we must be those who never need to verify our speech as truthful by swearing by the heavens or the earth or by any other oath. But instead, we must be so full of integrity that our yes or no is convincing enough and we do not stumble into hypocrisy. Whoa. This book says it as it is. Eh? You, can't, you can't hide. You can't hide. Now the first part is clear. He's speaking to the wealthy. Who might not have been in the church. Because then he speaks to his brothers and sisters. And he's saying to all of you out there. We know what it's like. I've been thinking of late when David wrote those words. Why do the wicked prosper? Oh Lord, why do the wicked prosper? And here we are. With a good thing. Trying to do good in this world. 
and yet it feels like we're always struggling and trying to get through. James is saying, be patient. Just endure. Be steadfast. Because there's a time coming when the Lord will return and He'll set all in order. And those will be burnt up in the fire. And we will be the ones that will rejoice and celebrate in the goodness that God has for us. Because there's a system of this world. There's the pattern of this world which is very hard just to break down and to go up against. And that's why we need to be patient in the midst of all these things that God is saying to us. And that word patience is interesting. It comes when you read it in other versions, in the NIV and the ESV. The word patience comes up quite a lot in verses um, 7, 8, and 9, or, and 10. And it means they're long-suffering. Like, hold out. Long-suffering. It's not the kind of message you want to hear. Like, dude... How long do I have to suffer for? Do I have to wait on? Like really, trust in the Lord. Do you trust Him? Hold on. And there's another word a little bit later in verse 11. that speaks about steadfastness and perseverance. Speaking about Job. And it's saying there, the enduring means to remain under. So just hold, hold. And it speaks of endurance under great stress. Just endure, just hold out. And when it speaks of Job, the meaning of those words, steadfastness and perseverance, is saying to stay put, to stand fast, when you feel like running away. Just stand. Stand. Hold firm. I don't believe this, this is a constant thing you always fight and struggle through in our lives. I don't think that is the joy of the Lord. If you're living in that position, you really need to kind of reevaluate what's happening in your life. Because you, you have to have points in your life where you know the fullness of God and life that you live from this position. But the trials and the things that you walk through are there because they bring something good out of it. They are not the forefront. They are not the major issue. They're there. You've you got to hear me on this. Because some people live as a trial as the forefront of everything. It's their identity. And their life is revolved around this circumstance. Where I'm at. And all the things that I'm walking through. How do I get out of this? I want to suggest maybe it's not a matter of getting out. Because I bet you you've prayed saying, God, take this away from me. And he's actually saying, no, no, I'm taking you through it. That is crucial. I know you've all prayed, God, take this away from me. But then when you get through it, wow, all we've walked through, all in life, all the years of stuff that have gone through, looking back is, oh, God is faithful. There's new things on the horizon. There's new things that happen. But past victories give me faith to say, well, God, you can do it again. We've sung a song like says words like that. He'll do it again because he's faithful. And you hold on to these truths that he's given us. So we are patient as we press through. Here's the thing is, what are we patient with? I want to suggest that there is no patience with sin. There is no patience with disobedience. Okay, because what is that? That's doing your own thing. So who are you being patient with? You're in control. You're not enduring. You're saying, I will sort this out rather. And temptation, as I spoke a couple of weeks ago, the test, the temptation is the shortcut to the end result, which cuts you short of actually fulfilling the full journey that the test is taking you through. So it's essentially an external or moral breakdown. I don't think you have patience for that stuff. If you're struggling in a sin, you be impatient with it. You go to the Lord constantly, God, help me, help me, walk through this, walk through this. We will press through. We will do this together. Not on your own, pressing through with God. Because sin is not suffering. It's a consequence of your disobedience. That's important to know. Because if you're in sin, and that's forefront, and you're worried and you're moaning about your life, and stuff, why is God not blessing me? Why are I not seeing these things come through in my heart and life? And you labor through sin thinking it's suffering. Do not be deceived, people. 
do not be deceived. When your heart is pure and your hands are clean and you can stand before Almighty with full confidence, knowing that He's given you everything for life and godliness, you are now having access to the throne of the Almighty. You stand there with a pure heart, but you know, man, these things I'm carrying in my heart, totally different position. Because when you stand before the Almighty with sin in your heart, He's going to convict you in love. I don't have the ability to convict people in sin with love. Humans convict people in sin. It's, it's, it just comes across harsh. And yeah, you can do the love. But it's not me that convicts, you see. You might be talking to me and feel convicted. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts you. Not me. Because you, you, you're a servant to Him. You're a son and a daughter of Him. We and, you and I are just together in this. Running hard for the kingdom of God. So don't be deceived. Sin is not suffering. It's a consequence. So what are we patient with? So what, are, what must we be patient? Like you're saying, Paul, James, be patient, be patient. We've been patient for years, yeah, waiting regards what God is saying to us as a people. You are patient with the promises that God has given you. You are patient with the circumstance that you're in, that you can't just change immediately. The circumstances and the trials. You're patient with people's hearts who mourn. You're patient with people's hearts who show remorse for their sin. There's the difference. Who actually say, I'm guilty. I know I've done wrong. And you walk together and you show patience with their heart as they find restoration. And they walk in the redeeming power of the son that's given to them. We're patient with each other's hearts when we're being tested. And we're walking through all sorts of trials and tribulations that are walking our way. And we journey with them as we suffer together in those things. You see, this, this nation went through suffering when a people decided that a people were less than them. And there were many people that in patience we walked a road and we suffered along with it. Now we walk in the fullness of that suffering that we journey together in the fullness of God working a nation to be one. Is it perfect? No. Is the church a model of what it can be like? Here it is. Here's <laughs> witness of it. We didn't come here sitting in different sections, women on one side, colors, races, all separated. No, we're all together because we've understood what one is. But in the 1970s and the 80s, there was suffering. It was hard. I was a kid when I was 10 years old in 1986. My dad and my, my friends around him, I went to townships, we went there. I didn't have answers. My folks didn't have answers, but they journeyed with those that were suffering. See the difference? They were patient. And they didn't change the government system. God ordered and worked a process for the land of South Africa. And we've got people like Steve Swart who have stood hard, standing for justice in our nation. 20 years of patience in government, right? 20 years of patience. But it's fulfilled the purposes of God. It's not an overnight thing. It's the call that God's placed on you to tarry, walk, slowly hold on to these promises that He's given you. But it's clean hands and a pure heart that put you in a very different position before the throne. And He will empower you. He will equip you. He will give you everything you need to fulfill the call. Because it requires faith to walk through that. And James alludes to three different areas here. He speaks about the farmer. He speaks about the prophet. And he speaks about Job. And he's talking about patience. If you're not patient, don't be a farmer. Because that crop don't come up overnight. My grandfather was a pineapple farmer. I never got to meet him. He died before I was bo even born. But my father's told me endless stories about growing pineapples. In the process, and if you actually grip a pineapple and pull the leaves that way, you can hold the pineapple like that. All the rules, and you cut it with that thing on. Anyway, he knew how pineapples were. But it's funny how weeds can come up overnight, eh? Yeah. Like a crop of weeds all of a sudden. Like, crikey, where did you come from? Not the crop, not the good stuff, not the stuff we feed on. It takes time. You know, an olive tree, once it's planted and it's grown into a tree, can take years before it produces its first batch of olives. Because yeah. it needs to be mature before it produces fruit. Yeah. That's a great analogy. Yeah. Hey? Yeah. That's our lives. We're 21 and we want to take over the world. Because <laughs> you've got no fear at that age. Take it on. Then you get to 35 and you're like, whoa, whoa, what am I doing here, man? Shucks, that is just so irresponsible. Like, shawow. <laughs> it's a good word, that, eh? <laughs> it's 
still there, still there. <laughs> and then you mature. And you actually, the pace changes. You suddenly, well, and the steps are more solid and firm. Not scattered all about trying to achieve and do everything, but you actually find a path and a course. See, a farmer also can't control the weather. Yo, imagine if a farmer can control the weather. Rain, now, yeah, perfect. Oh, not too much rain. You're going to destroy the crop. A little bit of rain here. The wind, you can't. It's a slow, patient process of being a farmer. That's why James alludes to it. And our spiritual walk as a believer is like that of a farmer. We all long for a spiritual harvest in our own lives. We're longing for the spiritual harvest of the church to see it all arise together as one. Yes, clearly our hearts are after that. But the hearts of our soil, the soil of our hearts, and the seeds of the word of the kingdom placed upon you are the things that produce fruit. It comes over time. And there are seasons in your spiritual lives that you walk through. Because I'm sure some of you have felt cold and wintry, wintry in seasons of your life. Just feel, man, I just don't feel it today. One month later, I just don't feel it this month. It can be a year later, still not feeling it. But you patiently endure. That's the true mark of a mature Christian. You don't try and short circuit the journey that God's got you on. Because what it's wanting to produce? The fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit that comes out of your heart and your life. And how does that happen? Through trials and troubles. Through trials and troubles. Look at the trees that grow on the flay. They're all bending over sideways. But they're strong. They're strong because the wind has just pushed them sideways, but they won't fall over. They keep growing. Okay, and the key is that he says in verse 8, is an established heart. Established heart. That word meaning stable, strengthened, consistent, and firm. Not a fickle heart. Halfly in the church. Yeah, just do that as I suited. You're not, you're not actually established. You know, there's an established heart in your own heart, in your life. Established in the community. Watch what God can do in and through you. As you journey as your heart. Then he speaks about the prophets. And it's clear there would be a reference to Hebrews 11. Where's the, 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 the chamber of heroes that are regarded in the passage of all the incredible things they did because of faith that they believed God. But it says right at the end that they patiently endured with faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. But you know what? It says that not all of them saw the fullness of them. But they still had their eyes set. What are your eyes set on? That's ahead of you. That'll help you here to get there because you patiently endure. I might not see the fullness of all I'm believing God for in my life. But I want to be, get to the end where it says about David that he served the purposes of God in his generation. Are you doing that for your generation? Because I want my kids to be able to grow and run with the legacy that I and me and my family and this community have left behind for them to run with. We've all heard that ceiling and stage and the, the, the platform being that away. My stage is someone else's ceiling correct my ceiling is someone else's platform and we know that we've understood that process then he speaks about sorry and why are these trials and that why all these trials and tests for those who speak in the name of the lord so their lives might back up their message that's a key thing eh? you can say it all but if you've got no story behind you people won't believe you now we've walked through this we're holding on we're trusting god because there's life, there's a mess. Your life is the message. That's important. And then he speaks about Job. And the whole book of Job is breaking into kind of three areas. You've got the distress that he's in with all the stuff and the loss. And then you've got the defense that he has of all these walking through. And then his deliverance. But you must remember this. Job didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. He didn't know that Satan and God were talking and testing him. He didn't know that was going on. His whole life was just falling apart. And he was given some really bad advice by his friends. If you've all had that in life, I'm sure as well. Everyone knows better. They all want to tell you how it works and how it should be. But you don't feel it's right. You're holding on, trusting God. But just remember that the enemy's goal is to get you to doubt and to fall into unbelief. What happened with Job? He passed the test. Not once did he condemn and blame God for what was happening. He was patient through all that he walked through. He stood the test. And I want to touch on some stuff here. Because all that stuff we're speaking about, but there's a process, and I'll take another 
Another 10 minutes, okay. There's a process that you will go through in your life as you walk through spiritually with God. And this goes beyond the small matters of daily challenges, of testing, attempting. There's a moment and there are seasons in your life where God is working deeply in your heart to mature you for greater things. He's wanting to, to transform you from glory to glory. And the whole process he uses there is to transform you in love. Okay, and I want to walk through a process here. I've, written, I've read some stuff that I've been lent by, in books and articles about this process here that has, has spoken to me in the last six months. It's really helped me through all that I've had to go through and this, the tussles in my own heart of challenges with what we're dealing with and all the things that are happening. And they got to a point where I started asking a lot of questions in my heart. And there's this process we all go through in our hearts. And this is reference to Janet Hagberg and Robert um, Gerlich, who have put these things together. And you see, you have spiritual cycles in your life, and it goes through seasons, and we all experience that. See, it's not sin that has led you to trials. You must understand that. Sin, there's a consequence to sin which can cause destruction in your life. Okay, those habits, those patterns that cause destruction, it's a very different thing to the path God has got you on. The enemy will try and pull you into this, and you want to try and blame him for everything. But actually, he's there all the time because he's trying to steal, and steal, kill, and destroy. Steal your dreams, steal your hope, steal your future, steal your promises, steal all those realities that God has placed in your heart. And this process we walk through here. And once your sin is dealt with, you see you walk in the fullness of God. And just click the next one there. Um, uh, Bella. These are, this is the stages of faith. Sorry, I couldn't find better colors, but that is pretty rainbowic, so it'll work. The stages of faith. You all have stages in your life where you walk through these seasons of life. The first thing, just first one there, Bella, would be this credit one. The recognition of God. The awareness of God. This could be at salvation. When you suddenly are aware, I need a savior, and you recognize that you need a God in your life. And you respond to Jesus being your savior. But this also happens when you're maturing and you're going through different seasons and different times in your life where you recognize that you need God. You recognize more of God to you. So he becomes more real in every circumstance and things that you walk through. And then there can be fresh revelation and understanding of your gift, your call, and your place in the kingdom of God. We all go through those. We suddenly, we get that. I got it. We feel things. We feel we're with God. That's important. Then what happens from this point of recognizing and understanding that, next one, Bella, is that you start walking a life of discipleship. You start walking with people. People start speaking into your world. You get mentors that lead you and guide you. And all of a sudden, wisdom from another person will be like, wow, that's real. I'll hold on to that. And you, walk, you start walking a journey with people. You start understanding what community is about because you're not on your own. Walking this own journey with God. It's a life of discipleship. And you start understanding the context of what's been happening in your heart, of the recognition and awareness of who God is to you as a Savior. And the disciplines of your faith start taking root. And you get to the next part there, is the act of life. We actually start working and serving and start doing and saying the things that you've been learning and been imparted to. And all this starts becoming very real to you as it starts playing out. You might start leading someone else and teaching them of the truths that you've learned. And you start helping within the community. And there's all this outward expression that's actually been happening in your own heart. That, that process there, we all know. We all recognize. And then there comes a point in your heart and your life. <coughs> And the best way to say it is, nothing seems to make sense anymore. Questions arise in your heart. And what faith you had before doesn't seem to work anymore. And you're like, why am I feeling like this? It was so good, but something... And what they've called it, and you can put the next one there, Bella, and the next one as well. It's been called the wall. It's uh, essentially also, you, you are in a spiritual crisis. John of the Cross, if some books that have been written and re referred to this guy, I have not read any of his material, but they call it, and he referred it to as the dark night of the soul. Yeah. Now, this stuff is not preached a lot here, but the joy is, when I was in the UK, there was a guy preaching this exact message. And I was like, I nearly preached this just before I left. And I was like, I just paused. And I was like, he, he shared on this stuff. You go to that place where you suddenly, nothing makes sense anymore. And you start questioning. 
Start asking God, what's happening in my heart? And you hit this, the best wall, that way you can describe it, is the wall, spiritually. Now, I don't know how they get these stats, but they say up to 80, 85% of charismatic evangelical Christians don't get through this. Because your questions cause you to stir in your own heart, your own ways that things are. You're like, I don't know what's happening. And you walk away. You don't walk away from Jesus, but you walk in a way that you don't understand what's going on. That's why I said you're right in the beginning here. He's not going to take you out of it. He's going to take you through it. Okay? See, there are different things that bring about crises in your life. And God works through these trials. He works through these things to do something in your heart. So it could be a divorce. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the death in your family or a friend. Could be a cancer diagnosis, could be a bad church experience, could be betrayal, dreams that are shattered, wayward children, car accidents, infertility, can't feel pregnant, can't seem to find the one you'll marry, your relationship with God feels dry, mundane, lack of joy, consistent cycle of financial pressure, racial tensions in your heart, anything, all those, all of the above, play into your journey with God. And you hit a spiritual crisis. And all that worked before feels like it's shallow and empty and doesn't work. So what happens? You start asking questions. You start asking questions in your heart. God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? The next one is, what have I done wrong? This is a big one. I ask that to myself a lot. What did I do to cause this? Because nothing's going right. It just feels like everything's going wrong. What have I done? He doesn't answer that question. It's rhetorical. He's like, you'll get it. You'll get it eventually. As I said, your faith doesn't seem to work anymore. Yeah, there's a reason this is taking place. But our constant need to look like we're all doing okay supersedes the deep, seemingly dark place we're in, and we miss out the deeper way that God's in our hearts. Because we want to always give this front of, I'm fine, I'm blessed. Yes, there's join your hearts, but you could see, I don't know if you picked up in the last few months, the staff were like, we could see you were struggling. I was like, was it that obvious? I don't know, but it was challenging. And we as a church have been through that. But my journey is not your journey. We go together in this, but I have a walk with God. And so you start moving from one place to another in God and from one degree of glory to another so what is happening is that old passions ways of thinking affections and all that has been good to you is starting to die and not satisfy and not be able to work anymore because God's doing something in your heart he's transforming you he's he's saying there's more trust me there's more so you're falling out of love with things that were satisfying and things that were good at a time in your life because there's more it's constantly pursued forward. Okay? What I'll say to you in this season, what happens is, this is called, the next one there, Bella, is the journey inward. Because everything just feels, you feel vulnerable. You feel everyone's noticing that you're just not doing right. It feels like it's sticking out like a sore thumb, but no one really notices it's your journey. But the questioning in your heart of, God, what are you doing? What have I done wrong? What is going on here? How can I fix this? How can I resolve this? This is what James is talking about. Be patient in these trials and these things that you walk through because God is doing something. He's working in your heart. And what starts happening, if you don't walk through the season of questioning and you walk away from it, you, you miss out of what the transforming love God can do in your heart. And you walk away deluded, you walk away depressed, you walk away deceived, you walk away accusing everybody else and it's everyone else's problem and God never hurt me and you never mature in God. Because you just try and fix it. One of the things we have in the men's group is no opinions, no fixing, no advice. Yeah. I don't hear your advice. I don't want you to try and fix me. Just let me tell my story. Yeah. So when you talk to God, He's not going to fix you. He's just going to love you. Okay? And then what starts happening as you journey through this, but you keep pressing through. I must say, the first six months of this year felt like this for me. 
It felt like, what is happening? God, all the things. That's why I was in the UK. Relational challenges. Things we're working through in the church. We'll share with you at some stage. But it's just everything. Really, God, what is going on here? I can't figure it out. Keep going. Keep walking. Keep trusting. Don't. He's not going to take you out of it. He's going to take you through it. I've learned so much through this last process. Foundational stuff that will set us as a church to even go even higher. It will come out in due time. Over the months, God will work it out. But I had to keep walking. Keep trusting. God, I know you're in this. doesn't feel like it, but I know you're in this. I know you're for me. I'm your child. I'm your son. I know you've given me access. I know you've paid a price for me. I had to keep like Johan, brilliant, speaking truth. Speaking truth. Because the enemy's there going, <laughs> really, eh? <laughs> Those promises, you're believing a lie. Man. Come on, man. God's never going to do that stuff through you. Look at your life, man. Come on, look what's going on. Please, you're trusting for all these things out here, buildings and stuff. Rubbish. True, eh? We all experience that. That's the inward tussle. The church. Come on. The church. Come on, Jesus. You're with me. And what starts happening as you walk through that, the deep inward journey starts walking outwardly in your life. Next one there, Bella. And it becomes an outward journey. As you start understanding from this deep personal journey you're on, it starts playing out in those same actions of serving and leading and speaking, but knowing that there's been a work of transformation that has happened in your heart. And you manage to cross over a threshold from one place to another. It's like crossing the Jordan. The Israelites needed to cross the Jordan to say goodbye to the old. The generations there were before, they all died off. There was a new, they had to cross over to the new. That's what we do spiritually with God. We, it's everything else behind us has died. It's done. We walk into the new that God was and it starts working outwardly again. You start feeling fresh faith arise. You start feeling hope arise in your hearts. And you suddenly realize God's actually done a work in my heart. And the final process, what happens in this thing, that you are now transformed in love. Because when you look back, you're not judgmental. You're not looking as a failure. You're looking at... Wow, look what God did. Look, look what He did in the past. Look at the things that I was carrying and walking through. But I don't look back with judgment. I look back with hope. And like, wow, God, you were with me the whole time. And now I've come out transformed with a heart full of love. So there's no judgment. And then you see it in others. And there's no, it's no, that's why there shouldn't be judgment in the church. There's one judge. We can judge other things, but not each other. So we're transformed by love. And you see, perfect love drives out all fear. And when Paul says in 1 Philippians 21, he says, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Then you start understanding what that actually means. Because you've died to stuff, and you've come alive in God as you walk through. And that's essentially, folks, is the unforced rhythms of His grace. Walking through this. I just want to finish off here. Sorry, I've gone way over time here. And what, what he says in verse 12, right at the end, is that you get tempted, you see, when you walk through these challenges and trials, to swear and to say certain oaths that, oh, it will never happen. You say things to God, you say things to people, and actually you're swearing an oath to something that is actually not just yes or no. You're still trying to figure it out. good example is Peter in the, garden of Gets, um, sorry, in the courtyard. After Jesus had that conversation with him, and he says, Lord, I'll never, I'll never betray you. And he says to the little maidservant, and he says it, Three times. And it says here in, the, in verse 74 of Matthew 26, it says, He began to invoke a curse on himself and began to swear. Make, make an oath. I don't know the man. I don't know. And immediately the cock, the cock crowed. And we say things in those seasons where like, God, where are you? Oh, the church, they don't understand me. You don't know what's going on. You make these oaths of swearing to yourself and understanding that become these vows in your heart that are actually believing lies. They're not true. And you walk through this place of transformation and God brings you out alive. Amen? Amen. I want to read you one thing just from the book and the movie, The Chronicles of Narnia. You all know the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Is Aslan was the lion, which is depicted as the savior. And little Lucy, who had these big buck teeth and used to speak like Luthi. Like the, we used to love, I love those movies. But he has a little sign of what, this is the whole process we've been through now. And we've spoken about this is what happens. And this is a little interaction between Aslan and Lucy. And Aslan says to her, welcome child, he says. Aslan, said Lucy, because remember he died and he came back again. You're bigger. Oh, that is because you are older, little one. 
he answered. And she says, not because you are. And this line says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Every time, every year you grow, you will find me bigger. You see, God has to do a transforming work in your heart so that you see him bigger. You see him in his fullness. When you didn't understand, when you were, God, what is going on? And you're crying out saying, where are you? He is not going to take you out. He's going to take you through. And when you come through that, you look back and you're the revelation of this great king. gets get bigger and bigger in your heart. That's why when you talk to someone in their 70s and you talk to someone who's 18, their faith is different. Because they've walked 50 more years of life seeing the faithfulness of God. It's just bigger and deeper. You can't manufacture it at 18. You've got to walk through it to understand and experience it. No, like, hold out, my son. He's good. Hold out. He's good. He will come through for you. <laughs> That's why we draw on the fathers in this house. See? The youthful exuberance can get you so far. Wisdom will lead you into all truth. Sorry, it's very late. I know. What I want to say is that we're on a journey here as a community. And what this is, you see, is not a wedding. It's a marriage. I said every wedding I do. Weddings are easy. It's the marriage that's the the work. And Alison, you're laughing there, because that was the journey, eh? You just laughed there. I saw that. Anyway. I just want to share a word I I heard this morning during worship, and I I held it back, and I felt uh, it's probably not for this morning, but... The word he brought now, I feel it's really appropriate to share with you what I felt God show me. Uh, we, we, I think the second song this morning, we sang Hosanna. And um, the, we know the word Hosanna as, a, a, um, as a, a word of adoration or praise or joy. However, if you go back in the history from the Old English to the Latin to the Greek to the Hebrew to the rabbinical Hebrew... The word Hosanna originally means simply, save, we pray. Save, we pray. And that's why when Jesus came in to, to, with Palm Sunday, people were shouting Hosanna. They were saying basically, save me, save me, save me. And so God led me this morning. I said, what is that? Why is that appropriate for this morning? And God led me to this to the uh, scripture in Philippians. And I feel this is what showed them. This is what he showed and unpacked for us today. A scripture that we often grapple with and we don't fully grasp. And I feel you've just revealed to us what this scripture actually means. And it's, it's in Philippians 2 verse 12 and 13 um, where he talks. And I'll just read the second part that, that's appropriate for here. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purposes. Mm. What you've shown us this morning is what James is talking about is referring to that Hosanna. We are continuously being saved. We were saved and for eternity we will, our destination is secure, eternal destination. But our journey and process, we, we constantly have to cry out, Hosanna, save me, constantly. This is the stages of faith. This is the process of us being transformed from glory to glory. We are being saved daily, weekly, from ourselves, constantly, so that eventually we will get to the end of ourselves and we will die completely to self. So that he will be, we will be raised completely with him. And that is the, the, the journey of working out our salvation. It is God who works in you for his purposes. It's not a, a works-based theology. It's a grace-based theology. It's the grace of God that is working in us and is transforming us. And so if you've got to any one of those stages, especially if you've got to the wall, I can tell you from personal experiences 
that that what he shared here this morning, I can tell you, is so on point. It's so profoundly true. When you hit that wall, when you come to the end of yourself and you think, well, this is it. It doesn't make sense. There's nothing. There's no way out. It is exactly there where Jesus is with you. The closest you'll ever get to Jesus is when you get to the bottom of the pit. Because he's been waiting there for you. Because he knew you had to get there. And because then you have no other option than Jesus. You've, you've used up all the other options. That The only option you have is Jesus. And he says, right, now you've got to the place where we can start really growing and maturing in faith. Amen. 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 You see, so we're in good company that every biblical character went through this. Let's stand together. I just want to pray over you before we go. Let's just quieten our hearts. Just close your eyes and respond to this. Because I, I really believe this, this stuff is fundamental to a body and to people maturing in God. This is not superficial, shout it, claim it, grab it and blab it Christianity. You see, it's so shallow that this is the true walk that God gives us as by His Spirit He leads us into truth. So let's just, let's just lift our hands just gently in front of you as a sign of just surrender, saying, Jesus, if this resonated with your heart this morning and it kind of touched you, you see, we're all at different stages. We're not all at the same stage. We're all at different places, but there's no judgment for where you're at. You, you're walking with Jesus. He's showing you. And Lord, I want to thank you that you are taking us as a community on an incredible journey. This adventure we have in and through you, Lord, is is just never going to end because we just find such satisfaction in what it is to serve you and live for you. But Lord, we just come to you this morning as a, a community that are longing to grow in the things of God, yes. a longing to walk maturely in you, knowing we, yes. we have these trials, we have these challenges that we walk through, and the things that we carry in our hearts. Father, I want to just release faith over every heart here this morning, Amen. that as we stand here as one, Lord, unified by the work of your Spirit, that no matter what the season of our soul, the season of our hearts, you would do a deep work in us. Well, I pray for those that are in the stage of questioning and just going, God, where are you? It's not working anymore. I'm just, you, you feel so far away. That's the feeling. You know what? He's standing right there. He's with you. He's leading you. But you know, the, the, the foundational process in this is, is the pursuit of the King of Kings. You are running hard for the King and his kingdom. So, Father, as we release faith over every heart here, I pray courage would arise in hearts here this morning to know that we're not alone in this. The feelings that I have, I'm not alone in this. There are other people that also experience this. As we walk through these, I speak of maturity over your hearts. I speak life to your hearts. That as we go out into the world, we are full of life and full of joy because we know we're on this credible journey of a Savior and King who is working in our hearts. And we want to honor you this morning, King Jesus. We honor you, King Jesus. That's right. I really feel you must take your hands' words this week to heart. You need to speak it out. Declare it over yourself. Don't be passive in this position and go, oh, woe is me and give up. Because then the enemy's got a grip. Walk it out. Walk it out with the King. And we honor you. We honor you today, King Jesus. And every God's people said, Amen. Amen.